I'd love for you to turn with your, in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text today on page 1034. 1 John chapter 2, it's way back over in the back of your Bibles. In fact, this is our sixth week in a row in the book of 1 John. We, we just have concluded last week a series on key choices to a great life. And we, it's, it's really in many ways been some very heavy sledding, and I'm grateful today to do something maybe that's a little lighter, but at the same time, I think just as profound. I mean, we, we looked at the choice to allow God's truth to set us free. We looked at the choice of letting our, to, to complete our love for God. We talked about the choice to love others. We talked about the lo- choice to be wise or discerning in terms of who we listen to for life advice and direction and whether those things are really driving us towards God. And, and then last week we talked about the, just the, the whole choice to actually live as the victors, the spiritual victors that God's created us to be, Christ Jesus. But here's a thought that struck me throughout the whole journey. As we were doing all this preparation work for, for as I was doing it each week and before and et cetera, I, the, the thought that kept running through my mind was just how fundamental our love for God is in this whole journey. You know, as we were thinking about the great life, being a life that's lived with God, with the presence of God, with the power of God, with the purposes of God, with the hope of God, with the joy of God, with the blessing of God, you know, you just keep going on and on. When you were thinking about the great life as being a life that's lived with God, and it's all rooted in, in just a desire to be with God, to, to live for God, to, to be God's child. And, and fundamental to all of that is, is just having a real, live, true, meaningful, practical love for God. Because if, if we don't have a love for God, all of this stuff that's supposed to grow out of our love for God just becomes another task we've got to do through this whole journey, right? It's just something we just kind of keep flooding along with, right? And, it's, it's, and, and, and it becomes a chore to us. It's, it's, it's not like we love learning. It's we're just trying to get past this class kind of idea. And love is, 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 love for God is so fundamental to the journey of really experiencing the great life. And, and here, here's the word is that God wants our love for him to be life-shaping. God, God wants our love for Him to be life-transforming. It's the resource, the gift, the foundation that we build all the rest on that really brings the great life to pass. And I was thinking this week about just how life-shaping love has been in my own life. You know, I, I, I've been blessed. I, I've, I've even as a, as a small child growing up in our neighborhood to, to my years in high school, years in college and seminary, the churches we've been in, I, I've just been blessed to have some, just some great friendships, some great relationships. And, and, and these are, are people that I, that I still love. I'm not as quite as in contact with some of them as I used to be, but, but there's still just a, a, a strong sense of affection. But as, as I was thinking about just the role that love has played in my life, I mean, I, I just... I see three different loves, if you will, that have just shaped who I am 
in addition to my, my love for God. And, and the first of those is, is with my parents, right? You know, my, my parents, Dave and Janet Davidson, they both passed on to go to be with the Lord now. And, you know, and I, I, I was born uh, as their second son, second child. I had two more kids after me, so that I had two sisters and an older brother, you know. And, and it, it really, it was a good home. You know, I, I was born in Waltham, and we immediately moved out to Framingham, and then from Framingham, before I started, just as I started preschool, they moved over to Sudbury, and that's the home, that, the only home I knew until I graduated from, from college, you know. And, and, you know, they just created a, I mean, they were committed to creating a good home life for us. I mean, and, and you know, they, they really were committed to creating this stable kind of caring type of home for us. Now, you know, I, I, I don't remember ever being in a scenario where we didn't, quote, unquote, kind of have what we needed. And there were often very many moments where we had stuff that we didn't need, that were kind of like the icing on the cake. You know, my, my parents were kind of like middle class, upper middle class kind of thing, and my grandparents had a, a lake house up in southern New Hampshire, so I, I spent a lot of times as a kid, you know, um, just hanging out in the lake, by the lake, when I, during the summers, whether it was just on weekends or sometimes we'd stay there all week long and my dad would kind of commute back and forth a little bit from work and that kind of stuff. But just a great experience, just swimming and boating and learning how to tip over sailboats and water skiing and tubing and all that kind of stuff. And it was just, it was just a great experience. And then you know, along the lines there, you know, the, eventually some other kinds of things. I mean, you know, the used dirt bikes and, you know, we've got to ride and that kind of stuff. We usually spend more time working on them than we did actually riding them. But, and I still can't fix anything. So I was particularly challenged in that journey. And then my parents, my dad eventually got some snowmobiles and he never rode them and he didn't want us to scratch them. So it was an interesting, but we, it was just some great experiences to all of that, you know. And it was, it, you know, it, it, it was, it was a great home. I, I you know, I, I, I look back at it and said, you know, but in the midst of all of that, you know, my, my dad, is, both of my parents in particular, but my dad specifically, having grown up as a kid on a subsistence farm, you know, in the midst of, of wanting to, to bring some blessing into our lives, allowing us to have just a, maybe a, a little bit more than they ever had, maybe a lot more than they, they ever had as they were growing up, he, he wanted to make sure we learned how to work hard, you know? I, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the gleam that was in my dad's eye one, one day. You know, it was late summer, early fall kind of thing, and he came home from work. It was still warm enough that the windows were open on the house, and he pulled into the driveway with his, his car, and he, he got out of his car. And he started yelling at, you know, the living room, the family room where we all kind of really hung out in the back porch were right off that end of the house. So he said, hey, Phil and Neil, come on out here, you know, kind of thing. And so we eventually wandered out to him and and, and it was just with a great sense of delight that he opened up the back of the station wagon. Anybody remember what a station wagon looks like? You know, where you had the big tailgates that went across or they would drop down or whatever. He swings the thing open and he pulls out a new chainsaw. And then, after he sets it down, he pulls out a split max. And he says, guess what? Next day or two, they're going to deliver, deliver 10 cords of wood, logging length. And guess what you guys get to do? You get to cut it and split it, you know, and, you know, and like when I was a freshman in high school, you know, my dad said, you know what, you get a summer job or I'm going to give you a summer job. I mean, and so, I mean, they were committed to, to teaching us to work, right? And, and he wasn't afraid to discipline either, you know, and, 
And that was a different era, right? You know, my dad grew up in a very different era, but even when I grew up, it was a, a different era. And, you know, I, there were a few times along the way where I deserved the punishments I got. There were some I took the blame for others, and it's still not my fault, and I didn't carve my name into the mantle over the fireplace, and I still deny that to this day, you know. And, and nobody else has ever fessed up. Can you believe that? You know, and, but I, the, the story that stands out in my head, you know, was my dad, somewhere along the line, he, he bought a new lawnmower. A, a new lawnmower. It was just a push lawnmower. And usually my brother and I fought about who was going to have to cut the grass, right? We, it's your turn. I did You know, we just fought about all that stuff. Well, he brought home the new lawnmower, and both of us wanted to be the first one to use it, right? You know, so we're chirping at one another, and then we start pushing one and all that kind of stuff. My dad the whole time trying to get the thing started. It was, I don't know. He was having some difficulty with it, getting it started for the first time. He got so frustrated with us, he sent us up to our room. He says, I'm tired. Get up to your rooms. I'll deal with you later. And then, and then he cut the grass. And that's not a good sign. You know, and you're sitting in your room, and you're looking at him going by in the front yard, and it's like, this is going to be bad. And, you know, he came from the area, you know, area where it, that's it, you know, we, you guys didn't do what I tell you, this is all we're doing, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, he, we just would bend over the edge of the bed, and he would take his belt off and give you a few whacks on the fanny. A lot of times he checked to make sure you didn't have magazines in your pants first. And, and if you were really bad, like if we gave our mother a really hard time, sometimes you had to take your pants down a little bit so it was on the bare skin. It stings worse that way, you know, a lot worse. I never felt abused in any way, shape, or form, and that didn't happen. That kind of punishment didn't happen very often. But, you know, through all of that, you know, and, 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 and I could have never put it into words when I was going through it. But th that didn't mean the reality didn't hit me in that time. Was that I had absolute confidence that my parents loved me. And that they always wanted what was best for me. Never once did it enter into my mind. Never once did I have the thought, even through all, sometimes all the fights that we had, never once did it enter into my mind, did my parents, did, did my parents not want what was best for me? Were they not looking out for my, I, that thought never entered my mind because I had absolute confidence that they loved me, and that they were doing what they thought was best for me. It's a powerful foundation to give. You know, the second, I think, the kind of life-shaping love that I've had is, is the love that I've had for Christina, you know. Um, it, was it was the fall of 1977. It goes back a long way, right? You know, I had been gone a lot during the summer, off at the lake house, doing some other stuff, working, and Came back to church. I was home. I was home by myself. We were having football practice, and you know, two a days and that kind of stuff. Sometimes three a days. And said so all the family was up north for the weekend. And I had to be there for Saturday and for for a Sunday afternoon practice. And so I went to church on Sunday morning. And I'm sitting there, not listening to the preacher, you know. And and I'm and I'm like, who is that new cute girl sitting on the other side of the church? You know. And I, I swear it was just like that, really. I mean, I was just like, wow, she's pretty. I'd never seen her before. You know, and so somewhere over the next couple of weeks, I figured out what her name was, dug through the church directory, I gave her a call, right? Well, and, and she lived in Newton, and I was in Sudbury. So that's like 30 minutes apart, right? And, and I was a junior in high school and had my driver's license. She was just beginning her freshman year in, in high school. 
when she was 14. Uh, I think I terrified her parents. It took them a long time to get over all of that. But anyway, so, you know, and, and, and thank God that we, you know, my grandmother lived in Waltham. Remember those days when call the next town was a long-distance call? And you could buy these Eastern Mass packages so that if you called towards Boston from Sudbury, it was free, but if they called out the other way? I mean, that's, so my grandmother lived in Waltham, so my parents bought that package, which meant I could call Christina for free, you know? And so what, what, what happened over time was it got to be a place where if the phone rang once and hung up, it was Christina. And if the phone rang twice and hung up, it was my grandmother. And so you couldn't pick up the phone until it got to the third ring, you know? And, and then that way you, and then if you knew it was one or two, you knew you could call back and it wouldn't cost anything, right? That kind of idea. And, but, you know, over time, I mean, you know, such as going out can be when you're just talking on the phone. She could occasionally come over for a Sunday afternoon as long as my parents were home. I could occasionally give her a ride home after church on a Wednesday, after youth group on a Wednesday night if we had a chaperone with us, that kind of idea, which usually meant my sister dragged along and that kind of stuff, you know. But, and, and, I, and the very first date we got out to go on was my junior prom, which was, you know, late May, early June or something of my junior year, like eight, nine months into this, right? And I think her dad had been over to the Marriott and with a stopwatch, timed how long it took to get back to their house in Newton. And then he just said, you know, you guys will be back here at uh, 11, 14, and 33 seconds, you know, kind of idea when it was going to be, that kind of idea. But, you know, over that period of time, you know, you know, besides just, you know, being physically attracted to her, I mean, she just was kind, good-hearted, smart, good-natured, even-keeled, funny, all those kinds of wonderful things. And and the relationship just grew. And somewhere in the midst of all of that, as we kind of grew out of teenagehood into young adulthood, is that the awareness just, just, it just kind of descended, at least on me. I don't know about her. I, I still question her judgment in marrying me in the first place. But, you know, it just descended. You know, I, that life is just better when she's around. It just feels good. Maybe you could even just bring the word that it's a part of experiencing joy. And I just wanted her to be a part of that forever. And so when I was 23 and she was 21, we got married. And that was a little over 31 years ago. And, and it really has been a, a life-shaping type of love. And then the third one was, was the, our two boys. You know, just, just loving it. We have a 27-year-old and a 24-year-old. Josh just turned 27 and lives in D.C. with his wife. And, and our youngest son lives in, in Boston. And he's 24. And... You know, as I thought about the way that I love them, the, the thought that hit me was, I'm not, I don't know if I could ever figure out how not to love them. Does that make any sense? That, that just because, you know, we, we waited to have kids. We planned to have them when we had them. And by God's blessing, we were able to have them right around the time that we hoped to have them and that kind of thing. And, and, and in the midst of that, we knew everything that we were taking on. They were going to pee and poop over everything and cry and cost a fortune and all that kind of stuff. And, and we went ahead anyways, right? And, 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 and there's, just, you're, you're just, there's just a desire to, to somehow or another be in a place where you can give to somebody like totally and see them emerge and flourish through all of that. And, and, and I'm not sure I could ever figure out how not to love my boys. I don't, I don't know how else to kind of put that, but but when I think about all of that and I connect that over to our spiritual journey, God wants our love for him to be this life-shaping, foundational peace 
that makes our journey with him not a chore, but truly a, a, a labor of love, a journey of love. So all the stuff we've talked about, completing our love, the loving, and, and sometimes it's like, boy, the list is getting bigger and bigger. And, and i got to tell you, God wants all of that just to be an outgrowth of our love for him. And, and I want to give you just a few reasons today why you should be in love with God. And I'm going to go through these quickly. I know our time has passed quickly already, but, but I want to share some thoughts with you, and I'm going to draw them out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. We could go some other places and that kind of thing, but look what John writes. Smack dab in the middle, he's teaching these things, and he, and he kind of backs up and he, and he explains in the middle of it why he's writing. He says, I'm writing to you, little children. John could call everybody a little child because he's 90-something, right? You know, so in, in our time, he says, I'm writing to you, my youngins, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have had victory over the evil one. I have written, notice the past tense now, Maybe that's a reference to the earlier parts of the book, or maybe he's referring to other letters he sent. He says, I'm writing to you, children. That's, again, a reference to all believers, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And have come to you, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have had victory over the evil one. Let me just give you a, a few quick points. And, and, and this first one I want to draw off of this idea of says, you fathers have come to know the one who has been from the beginning. And what John's referring to there is that he's saying to the, the spiritual leaders and really kind of through them to all of us is that we have had the privilege of entering into a relationship with the Creator. And the Creator has revealed Himself to be a God who is love, that comes up in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. It says he, this creator has revealed himself not to be somebody who just acts in love, but his very nature. I mean, there's no way to describe, picture, paint, do anything about God without somehow including love. He says he's love, and in that he has chosen to pour out such a great love on us that we can become his children. So here's my point. One of the reasons why you and I should be in love with God is that because God created us just so he could love us. He created you and me, created everyone who walks on the planet from the very beginning moments to now. He created us just so that he could love us. And not just with any love, but with a great love. In fact, if you pull a lot of the stuff of the scriptures together, Here's a point I think that you can, you can substantiate. It is dead, straight-on biblical truth is that God wants the crowning achievement, the crown jewel of all of his glory be the, to be the way that he loves us. Not the beauty of his creation and what a sunset looks like, not the magnificence of the Milky Way, not how impressive the Grand Canyon is or any other great sights around the world. God wants the way that he loves us to be the thing that brings him the greatest glory, the greatest honor. And man, we should love God because of that. 
Second truth. Not only has he loved us with a mind-blowing kind of love, but he's also chosen to love us unconditionally. Look at verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, in reference to all believers, I'm writing to you who are the followers after Christ because your sins have been forgiven on account of him. There, there was a moment in Adam and Eve's lives, in every single person's lives, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory. There's a moment in, that, in our journey where we break relationship with God. Sometimes the world doesn't really see it as being worthy of that. You know, there, there are certain sins or kinds of things that you do that are far more horrible and despicable than any other kind. But, but God says that there is a moment in every single one of those where we choose to say, you know what, I don't really want this relationship with God that way anymore. Whether it's just an act of selfishness, an act of pride, of an untruth that we tell, a word of anger that's not spoken in love, the list can just go on. We, we just say, I, I don't really want that kind of connection with God anymore. And we find ourselves isolated from him. And the scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were still separated from God, while we were still enemies of God, is the way Paul puts it, that Christ died for us. John puts it this way in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, and just one page over in your Bibles, he says, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then he goes on and says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, that's not a word that we use very often. The Bible uses lots of words to speak about the impact of salvation on our lives, like justification, etc. But here it uses the word propitiation, and it's a reference to all the relational damage that sin does to our relationship with God. And, and he's saying, in Christ, when he died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, resurrected on the third great day, after living a perfect life as one who was fully God and fully man, that when he was resurrected from the grave after his death on the cross, God, God dealt with every single effect that our sin has on our relationship with him. He's chosen us to love us unconditionally. That's why he says, you know, if you, you, know, if you, if you sin, he's faithful and just. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here, God has loved us in such a way that nothing that we have done in our past can prevent us from having the life that he wants to have with us in the future. That's a reason to love God. It's a reason to love God. I'll give you a third reason. Not only is it because he's loved us with a mind-blowing kind of love, not only is it because God has given us this, this great unconditional kind of love, a, a love that we really only experience in our lives when we actually get to the point where we say, I need a Savior. Some of us are sitting here this morning and you're hearing about all this stuff and you say, I, you know, I've never really done all that bad. I'm being a good person. I do this, I do that, whatever. And you say, Until you and I get to a point where we know we need a Savior and we recognize and believe that Jesus is the only Savior that there's ever going to be, the only one who really works as a Savior, and accept Him as, as our Savior, you know, then we experience this unconditional love for God. Here's the third truth. 
He always, God always wants what's best for you. God always wants what's best for you. I was struck by how twice in these verses that we read, he's talked about how he has worked through his word to empower us to be able to overcome the evil one. Do you see that? Twice he mentions that. The ability to live strong. In chapter 2 at the beginning of it, he talks about Christ being our advocate, the one who stands in the midst of it. In chapter 3 and in chapter 5, he talks about the fact that he hears our prayers and he gives to us. And he talks about in chapter 4 how perfect love drives out fear. Any fear of the future, any fear of punishment, any fear of isolation from God, he drives all of that out because God always wants what's best for us. Now, sometimes we don't always see the wisdom of that, but God never, ever, in all of eternity, has ever wanted anything for you or for me or for anyone else that wasn't best for them. You know, the, the, the confidence that I had as a kid growing up didn't mean I didn't have squabbles with my parents and friction and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was normal just like you guys. It's just part of the growing up process. But never anywhere in that equation did I ever suspect that my parents in any way, shape, or form were were doing something that was not good for me or was deceptive or they were trying to hurt me. I never, and there was a, just, a, there was a release in the midst of the struggle that I could trust in them. God's saying, you can do that with me because I always want what's best for you. You mess up, I'm going to forgive it. Christ is sitting as the advocate. He's going he's gonna to stand in the gap for you. And the list just kind of goes on and on. He always wants what's best for you. One last truth as our time is running away and the, probably the teenagers will be running through the door in just a couple of minutes. He's the only one that we can get eternal life from. Look what he says in chapter 5, verse 13. Again, we're just kind of hanging around in 1 John this morning. And he, and he talks about this in the other chapter and verses we've read about overcoming the evil one and we've had victory and etc. But he makes it crystal clear. He says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants every single one of us to be able to live every single day of our lives knowing that we're living with eternal life. Now, I, the Bible teaches there is such a thing as eternal death. But God has made it possible for us to experience eternal life, and he is doing everything in his power to make sure that every single one of us experiences life eternal with him. And that's a reason to love him. So here's how I want to conclude this morning. Now, first of all, if, if you've never experienced a love relationship with God through personal faith in Jesus Christ, you can do that today. I've already kind of hinted at you. It starts with saying, you know, I need a Savior. I, I may not be prison worthy, but that I'm far from perfect, and I need a Savior. Believe that Jesus is the only Savior that God's ever going to give us and has given us. And then commit to your life to living by faith in him as best as you know how right now and let it grow. But on a more arch, overarching level, here, here, here's my invitation to you this morning. I think it's God's invitation to us. Is bless yourself by falling in love with God all over again. Bless yourself by falling in love with God all over again. 
when the spiritual life starts to feel like a chore and it seems there'll be so much to do and it's so much hard work and all that kind of stuff, just fall in love with God all over again. Just fall in love with God all over again. Because God really is love worthy. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for making it impossible for us to ever doubt that. We may not always want to accept it, but God, you've made it possible that we could never doubt it. Because you've gone first and shown your love to us. God, thanks for being so lovable. Guide us as we fall in love with you all over again. As we pray in the name of the one who showed us your love most clearly, Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Amen.